1: this is Leanne Meyer welcome back to our weekly look at nursing and thank you again so much for sharing once a nurse always a nurse with your friends family colleagues on Facebook and LinkedIn I'm hearing more and more feedback from people that they are delighted with this and excited to have this opportunity so um, I'm really happy about that today um, we're going to continue to hear from more and more people um, and more and more ideas. So if you have ideas, please, please let me know what they are. Uh, Today we're discussing nurse entrepreneurs. And I have two guests with me. I'd just like to give kind of a a background here. One thing you can always count on nurses uh, for is great ideas, right? So most of us are problem solvers and proud of it. When I think of all the wonderful product ideas I gave to the furniture, formula, instrument representatives, all kinds of different people, I could have retired uh, several times over. Uh, My best one was a warmer for the conductive gel that we use for pregnant mothers to listen to their babies. I didn't ever take the time to find out what that idea might be worth or how to go about getting it on the market. But fortunately, I have two people here today with me who uh, did follow through, and they now have some amazing products that they can now sell. So I have Jennifer Crispy connected with me. Um, I, I guess we met through LinkedIn. And then we just hit it off as soon as we started talking to each other, it was like old friends. And she knew of my second guest, Patty Long, who also feels like a long-lost friend. Both are here to talk about the process of getting their great idea to market. So we're going to start off with uh, getting to know them each a little bit. So Jennifer, can you say a little bit, uh, share a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hello. Uh,
2: My name is Jennifer Crispy. I'm a a registered nurse, certified in obstetrics. Uh, I've been at the bedside for over 30 years, and I'm also proud to say I am a certified childbirth educator, uh, teaching classes in our community for uh, just about 20 years, maybe a little longer.
1: Great. And then my second guest, Patty Long, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about yourself.
3: Yeah, I'm Patty Long, and uh, I've been a nurse for forty years. Uh, I started in surgical nursing and went quickly to obstetrics, which is where I wanted to be. Worked um, close to thirty-eight years in OB, and um, presently just retired after forty years of nursing.
1: What a great thing to be able to say that you can, after all of that, that uh, great effort and uh, wonderful experiences, that you get to take a deep breath eventually. <laughs> I heard I heard you're not breathing deeply yet. <laughs> so, um, not quite. <laughs> no? So, Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit more, go into a little more detail about what brought you to this point in your life, kind of um, your, your nursing steps uh, in uh, a little bit, just share what you want to share with us. Of course, yes. Um, Well,
2: I'm going to go back to my senior year of high school. Um, In my late 70s, I was enrolled in a program called DCT, Diversified Cooperative Training. This was, of course, back in a a rural town in Ohio, and uh, you were able to take uh, your regular classes uh, in your senior year, but then the other half of the uh, the school day, you could go and volunteer or get involved with the career of maybe of what you find um, interesting. And I was always wanting to care for people, and, and I thought nursing would be a great, great thing to go into, so um, I did that in my senior program, uh, senior year, and then... <clears throat> I joined the Army, of all things, after I graduated and got my uh, LB, LPN or LVN license. And from there, I moved back to Ohio and had an opportunity to work at a freestanding birth center as an LVN. Um, and it was all staffed by midwives, and I just was in awe of how they cared for the family and and their uh, support and uh, just knowledge of the pregnant woman, and I thought that would be something I would really, really love to do. Um, At the time, there was quite a waiting list in Ohio to get into the nursing program, so I ended up moving to Arizona, and I got my nursing degree, and um, after I graduated, I said, now my husband, but back then not, Uh, we decided that we were so close to California, let's give it a try. And so we packed our bags and uh, came to California, where I've been um, working at a a birth center, a local hospital here in obstetrics, and um, wanting to get into that midwifery program, I found out we were expecting our first child. So... uh, was put on the back burner for a long time, midwifery, but I think that back burner is, is now turned off. <laughs> I'm a, I'm just love being a bedside nurse at this point in time. So,
1: well, you kind of got the midwifery midwifery training in person. <laughs> In your own, uh, in your own baby. Um, I wanted to just explain the LVN and LPN to, um, we are an international audience, so not everybody might know what that is. So licensed vocational nurse or licensed practical nurse, and it sort of depends on where you are in the country, um, on what they call what, which one they call. Um, So that's great. Um, Patty, share us with us uh, your journey up to this point. Well, um, I started OB, right? I, I had
3: my daughter when I was pretty young, and uh, right after I did natural childbirth and did the Lamaze, and after I had her, I went, I think I want to do this. So that was kind of it for me, figuring out what I wanted to do for a career. So I went to school, got out, and, and I graduated in 77. So uh, at that time you had to do your, you know, med surge. Uh, routine, rotation, and I did that, but I was just dying to get into OB, but there were no OB jobs at the time, so I kind of um, went over one day to the OB department and got on my knees and begged the nursing director there to um, hire me. They had no positions, so I said, uh, well, surely people get sick, people go on vacations, and at the time, there were no per diem Position, so I was kind of creating this ordained position before they actually had them, and she actually took me on. And you know, once you get your foot in the door, a lot of times it opens up, and there was no turning back for me. That's pretty much all I did. I did, I do do a little bit of parish nursing here in Santa Barbara. I've been doing that for oh, gosh about fifteen years, but part on a very part-time basis. And uh, my last few years in nursing, I was able to go back to school. I, I got my ADR in initially, the two-year degree, and I went back to school about um, eight years ago and got my bachelor's and my master's because I wanted to teach. Um, so then I ended up uh, the last few years doing a lot of training with the new nurses and the staff nurses in uh, high-risk obstetrical um, procedures and updating on new uh, policies. So it was really uh, quite a, uh, I, I loved doing that. It was just like my perfect job, but uh, I was really kind of at the end of my hospital career, 40 years, so I retired a month ago.
1: Wow, so yeah. very fast, very fast uh, Turnover now into uh, um, uh, getting used to being in that retirement mode. So it's interesting to me too because it wasn't planned this way. I knew I wanted to do some entrepreneurs, but I I didn't have any specific area. And my my background was OB also. So uh, and also I was in that situation where I really really wanted to be an OB, but I, I just couldn't get in. So I think what I learned from Patty and and what I learned from myself. Um, don't give up. if you have a dream or you have something that you really want to do and it looks like it's difficult, um, make a way for yourself. Just you know show whoever it is that is making those decisions that you truly are going to be an asset to them. and then okay. make sure, I mean, you have to work really hard um, and make sure that whatever you promise them, you can deliver. Okay. so that's that's kind of the hardest part is. Um, you know, just if you have that determination, you have that love, go for what you want. hmm Yeah, so... Yeah, persistence um persistence pays off. <laughs> it sure does. So talk a little bit, I mean, this is many, many years ago that OB, uh, how different was it then than it is now?
3: Well, like I said, I don't think in the beginning there was a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, you just took what you could get. And, um, but... Then in the 80s, you know, all of a sudden there were like a million jobs. So you had your pick of what you wanted and when you wanted to work. But then it's, you know, towards the end of the 90s, I think, maybe the beginning of 2000, it all started to close down again. And, uh, you know, I've recently, I did a lot of interviewing for nurses and uh, for positions. I worked at a county hospital in Ventura. And uh, all we were getting were new grads, and for the longest time, you know, you felt so bad, but you had to say no. But um, all of a sudden now, I think the baby boomers like me are retiring, and the new grads are getting hired. We just hired a slew of new grads, so I think there's a real trend, but when the market does get tight, You've got to, you know, find different ways to get your foot in the door. It's really a lot of it's just getting your foot in the door. Like it may not be a full-time physician initially. It might just be per diem. Just take Mm -hmm. it because then you're online for the next one, and you're going to, especially the new grads, they're going to be getting the training they need to make them more desirable, even if they don't end up at the hospital they initially started at.
1: Right. Jennifer, what do you think about how things have changed? Um, not necessarily just the jobs, but in OB. Well, go, go with the jobs. How is it different now to get a job in OB than what it was when you first started? Oh, I, I believe absolutely.
2: Now, you know, and I think a good idea that you, they want at least minimum six months med surge training that would then, you know, give you your basic Knowledge and tools, so you can work in more specialty areas. So, uh, for me, I, I had some of it, but it was didn't seem to be a real requirement to get into OB uh, back then. If you had the passion and and you know connections and the desire, like Patty said, to take just about anything that came your way. Um, there was opportunity for you to get your foot in the door and now I think they, they, they really, a lot of nurses now coming in, not quite sure what field they want to get into, but seems like they're really encouraged to do a med surge rotation and get that under their belt for at least six months, if not longer. And then if there's an opening, we can gradually get you oriented. And of course, every new nurse, it seems like you start off working the night shift that's just the way it is and you know it takes some time to get you off that list and on to days, which is desirable for everyone um so yeah things in that department and, and how it's evolved has certainly has certainly changed and um i get people ask me quite a bit you know when am i when am i going to retire and honestly i have to say right now um it's not in my future um because I really still find the, the love and the passion for taking care of the families and teaching the classes is still a, um, a big draw to me. And uh, they're going to have a hard time getting me out of that hospital. I think the only thing that I struggle with right now, which we didn't have back when I first started, with the long 12-hour shift. Yes. Um, We did the three eight-hour shifts, you know, the morning shift, the afternoon shift, and the evening shift. And that, I think, has gone pretty much by the wayside. We have pretty much just 12-hour shifts now, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So um, they're long, long days.
1: I think I, I wanted to clarify a little bit, too, for especially people who are not in nursing yet. Um, I remember being so disappointed, too, to not be able to just go right into OB, which is, you know, uh, from the first time I saw a delivery, that I, I was hooked. That was it. That was what I wanted to do. And I was in love. Um, but uh, what I realized and what happened to me uh, in actual fact is I was hired in Denver. Uh, I was uh, leading an, a med search floor on the night shift, as you said, you start out on nights. And um, I uh, also would get pulled into ICU. So I learned a lot of the basics and even a little bit more beyond that. But I found when I was finally able to get into obstetrics It helped me so much because some of those same things that come up in, you know, just basic care and especially, you know, different things with ICU care can happen in uh, delivery, too. I've had people that have had ruptured aneurysms in their brain while they were uh, in labor and delivery. I had a a couple that went for a C-section. And um, the the man had literally had a heart attack in the in the OR. That was when we were first having uh, men come in with their wives uh, to see the delivery of their baby by C section, and we of course thought he fainted, and then realized, oh my gosh, he didn't faint. He he had a heart attack. Yeah. So we were taking care of three patients simultaneously, and I was so grateful to have the experience that I'd had previously. So. Um, mm-hmm. And i think that probably holds true for just about any specialty area that um you know spending that time to get the basics down pat it it becomes something to really grow on exactly exactly yeah um i think we're gonna uh take this as a break point here and um, uh, I would, when we come back, I want to hear about what you, you know, what idea you came up with and what was some of the process you had to go through to be able to uh, invent something and have it go to market. So um, we, you are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, if you're just uh, coming in. And we're talking with two uh, nurse entrepreneurs, Jennifer Crispy and Patty Long, and uh We will be coming back shortly.
4: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: surprise you.
0: search voice america at your favorite app store
5: tune in to the voice america variety channel on the voice america talk radio network voice america variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community
0: listening to once a nurse always a nurse exploring the world of nursing with host leanne meyer to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to America at gmail.com now back to once a nurse always a nurse
1: Thank you for returning to our continued discussion on nurse entrepreneurs. And uh, Jennifer Crispy and Patty Long are with me. Both of them uh, have uh, been working in OB, which is my background also. So it's been feeling like kind of old home week here. (laughs) So um, Patty and uh, Jennifer, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your great idea that you came up from conception to delivery. Actually, the pun is intended. (laughs) So, uh, Jennifer, do you want to go first? Okay.
2: Um, Well, uh, as mentioned, I have worked in labor and delivery for over 30 years, and um, I would guess about eight, eight years ago or so, I was putting, once again, these transducers that are part of the external fetal monitor. So there's two transducers that we normally routinely will put on any pregnant woman that comes through the hospital to be uh, evaluated uh, there's a toco transducer and there's an ultrasound transducer the toco transducer actually goes on the top of the uterus and it there's a sensor underneath that detects any kind of uterine um, muscle activity and then there is an ultrasound transducer that is placed either over the Fetus, I call passenger, uh, front or back, and that uh, sends this ultrasound signals to the heart rate, and then gets recorded on the monitor, as and you get an audible as well. And so, this is pretty standard, and became very standard in the late 70s in all the hospitals across the USA. Um, the transducers that actually go on the woman's body really had not evolved over. Years, The machine itself has, and so initially the machine would only pick up heart tones and uterine activity, but now you get blood pressure readings and you get uh, um, uh, oxygenation levels and heart rate of the mom, and so it, it does a lot more things, the machine. But these transducers still remain hard, rigid, flat, and quite uncomfortable for a soft, round, pregnant belly. And so, as I was placing these transducers on once again, I said, there had to be a better way. This is just uncomfortable for her. It's tedious for me. I'm, how, how can anyone think a flat, hard transducer is going to do anything on a round, soft belly? So, I said there had to be a better way. And so, I began in 2008 thinking, what can I do to make this better for the pregnant woman, and easier for the provider. And I came up with this idea. Um, I ended up uh, wanting to figure out what, what the application was, what can I do. I had to go forth with this. I felt like other nurses were probably thinking this um, because we always make comments when we put these on. This just doesn't make any sense to us. So I ended up developing uh, two pads that actually go on these transducers. Um, the toco pad and ultrasound pad. And so um, through a lot of trial and error and development, I finally, and FDA process, I, I had little background as to even how to begin doing this. And I turned to some um, a company that would help me with the prototype and we modified that several times and then you had to choose the right materials and it had to be, com- you know, nice enough to go on the skin and of course you have to think latex-free because it's in the hospital mm-hmm. and uh, you have to think of, you know, the monitor parts itself, you don't want to leave any residue on it and, you know, it's so... Anyhow, after this long gestation, uh, I finally birthed this product called The Edition, and they're uh, simple little pads that go directly on the transducers. So um, it was I birthed three, labored and birthed three children of my own, but I have to say the edition, which we call the fourth child, has certainly been my <laughs> longest gestational period and by far.
1: Well, that's a good way to put it. I like that. Um, Patty, talk about your invention and um, what was the process for you? Well, um, I was actually working on my master's degree and
3: uh, took a class in risk management. So I went to a hospital to a risk management department to ask them what risk management is. And they... um, said, uh, they gave me an example. They knew I was an OB nurse, so they gave me an example. And they said that a mother was, because we do rooming in now, which means some babies usually stay in the room 24 hours the the whole time. They don't go to a nursery anymore uh, while they're in during their hospital stay after they have the baby. And um, so a mother had the baby in bed with her in the middle of the night, fell asleep, and the baby fell out of her arms and consequently off the bed onto the floor. And uh, so there was an incident report, and she went through the whole process of what they do to try to solve this. You know, the problem has occurred. Now what do we do to make it so it doesn't happen again? So she went through the whole process with me, and as I was leaving, I said to her, I go, well, why don't you get those bassinets that go over the bed? So she goes, what bassinets that go over the bed? And I don't. I, I saw a picture of somebody showing me uh, a picture in a hallway, another nurse of a bassinet that went over the bed. The mother was l- kind of leaning on it. The baby was on it, much like the overbed tables are constructed. But but the bassinet basket being on that with the baby in it. And I said, I've seen these. And she said, Well, we're really interested in that. It's a great idea. Can you can you uh, find out where you saw it? And I said, Sure, I'll do a Google search and I'll get back to you. Which I did, and I couldn't find it, couldn't find it. So I finally went to the nurse, I thought, showed me the picture, and she said, no, I never showed you that picture. And I said, yes, you did. And, no, you didn't. No, you, you know, back and <laughs> forth. But right. um, so I'm like, okay, well, I don't get it, but it is a good idea. So then I did a patent search. I thought, well, maybe somebody patented it or designed it or made it, and it's not on the internet, but it's in the patent office. And I couldn't find it there either. So started to haunt me. I was like, what the heck? And I said, this is a really good idea, because I work in OB, and I see these poor mothers, you know, they're exhausted, and, you know, they're holding their baby, and they're falling asleep, and they can't get up one more time, especially the C-sections,
1: to so put their your, back, you know, they're just what, done. What was your process to get started to uh, actually develop it? Well, <laughs>
3: I, I finally said, okay, fine. Uh, I tried to give it away for a while, and people would just look at me like, yeah, I called certain companies, and they're like looking at me like they didn't know what I was talking about because nobody really grasped the concept. So finally I said, all right, I'll do it myself. And uh, then I said, okay, so how does one build a bassinet? Uh, do I go get wood and nails? And it was like really that rudimentary. I had no idea what I was doing or how I was going to do it. So the process began, you know, the journey, and um, it took a few, you know, a few years. I got a patent attorney, which was critical, mm-hmm. and uh, did a lot. I did prototypes, spent my own money, you know, spent a lot of money, but didn't uh, go into debt for it. And uh, little by little, uh, it was getting harder and harder, and a company actually up in Minnesota who does home uh, products to keep babies uh, safe uh, in the sleep environment, they were working on a home bassinet. And I think you could say which which company it was. Oh, it's Halo, um, H A L O, in Minnesota, and they do the sleep sacks. And now they have a home bassinet that's actually been out on the market for about two or three years now, and it's like number one product now in, on Amazon and Babies R Us and on and on Target. Um, yeah, so the home product was similar to mine, not quite the same. I was on the hospital track. And they realized that they needed to make their wall an automatic returning wall, which was in my patent. Well, they did a patent search, and lo and behold, I came up. So they contacted Mm -hmm. me, which I still call the miracle of my life. that You know, (laughs) somebody came and actually asked me to license the technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I licensed it. I have a contract with them for the home bassinet. But I was like, well, I'm doing a hospital bassinet, and I don't know how this conflicts or how it's going to work. And they said, well, we'll do another contract and we'll do the hospital bassinet. So that's coming out in December. And uh, so my baby will finally be birthed. We're talking about, you know, really that whole conception to, to
1: right. everything.
3: I've been waiting for my baby to be birthed for, um, well, I signed that contract in 2014, I think, so three years. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's how long
1: they've and, been working And would on you it. say this is, or I don't know, maybe you haven't talked with other people that are entrepreneurs. Is this pretty normal um, totally process that it takes normal. a long time? It takes time, and it's hard.
3: And everyone I talk to has gone through this process. It's like the same, because I was saying, gee, I, I'd love to help people so they wouldn't have to go through what I went through. But then I realized that some of what you're going through is what helps transition the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's like there's, there's not a lot of um, uh, shortcuts. <laughs> I mean, you can get help. I did get help. I went to Women's Economic Ventures and got a mentor. I mean, definitely look for help. But a lot of it's just your own persistence and um, willing to just keep going, just even when it just doesn't seem like it's. Exactly. it gets really dark <laughs>
2: yeah yeah Patty nailed it I would have yeah. to agree with her completely uh, I actually had one mentor uh, he lived in Ohio he's a friend of my father's and I took some great advice that he had given me about how investors and things like that but other than that actually talking to somebody this journey has and my family of course have been very supportive right. but this journey has been pretty much on me um, you know, and and it, it it like Patty says, it can be it can be kind of lonely and dark at times. <laughs> I just wish you had somebody you could share with, because
1: what um, a, what about protecting your idea? Because you know, in both cases, it's somewhat of a simple idea, and you'd think, well, surely other people are having this idea, or maybe as you're you know feeling other people out about it, um, you know, how do you prevent that idea from being stolen or or taken by somebody else? Well this is jennifer
2: for, for me it was merely um filing you know like patty said getting a good uh patent attorney and mine because it was a medical device uh going on uh going in the hospital i needed to um find a medical patent attorney which i was able to locate one and then from there filing the patent and real specific on what I wanted on the patent. And then I also had to go through um, the FDA process because it was a 501 pre-market. In order for me to be a business to sell the product, I had to go through, navigate through the FDA. And if you've even gone onto their website, mm-hmm. um, it w- the moment I looked at the website, I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this correctly. I need to hire a, a team mm-hmm. to help me with this. So that, for me, I ended up getting my um, uh, FDA approval in 2010, but didn't get my patent until 2013. So for those three years, I didn't do a whole lot in the way of marketing, even though I yeah. had to okay with the FDA. Because just like what you said, Leanne, I was I was really concerned that someone's going to take this idea and run with right. it. And so I was very, you know, any time I had any kind of talk with anybody, I always had them sign a disclosure protecting myself and my product. And, and then, of course, once I got my patent, it was happy days are here again. Yeah. I thought it was just so, yeah. you know, this is great. But then now the other step, you know, marketing it and getting it out there and, you know, getting the, the buzz spread about this product, it's... it's um, it's, it's, you have to be very patient. That's all I have to say yes. for
1: my product. I just have to be very patient. And um, yeah. um, and persistent. Um, uh, Jennifer, and persistent. you've mentioned the FDA a couple of times. This is an international show. Could you explain what the FDA is? So
2: because of my... Um, so my, my product goes actually on a medical device, and I needed to... Con- with the Federal Drug Administration that my product isn't going to interfere with what the machine was already designed to do, and that it was only going to complement it, that there was not going to be any concerns, that the labeling was going to be okay. that um, There was a, a, quite a list of things, but I needed to be compliant because it is a medical-designed product. To be used in the hospital, it had to go through this Federal Drug Administration. Um, okay,
1: which, and that's which, really good. We I all want to no make sure that whatever is being used is um, is going to be safe for you know safe product for the people that uh, are, it will be used on. So that's correct. a good thing.
2: Well, that's a very good thing. But you know, it's a long. It was a long process. It was a uh, you know three years in in almost. Three years of, of waiting for that to go through it. It took. A, it was a little. Um, it was a little nerve wracking. I guess it was more than like two years, but still, it was a little nerve wracking.
3: And also, the patent process—it's oh. very interesting because uh, what, uh, what I did originally, you do a provisional patent, which is very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It's only a few hundred dollars, and it kind of puts your thumb on it for and gives you a year to get the uh, the actual patent done up correctly. And um, so uh, after that, when we submitted the patent, we submitted in 2010, I think. And the amendments, you've got to go back. Yeah. Well, the- I yeah, didn't yeah, have yeah. that <laughs> for some reason, but, but I submitted in 2010. And I'm telling you, the patent office didn't even look at it for almost at least close to three years. Wow. Before, that's how backlogged they are. So you've got all that time where you're uncertain if you're even going to get awarded a patent. Okay, right. so you're proceeding forward, not even knowing if your your idea is going to be protected. So it's you know you got to just believe in your product and believe in yeah. what you're doing. And really, I will say the biggest point for me, the the thing that mostly hit home for me, it was about the journey. It's like. Detaching from the outcome and focusing on the journey was like a life lesson to me that, I'll, no matter whether I got this or not, which is wonderful, that changed my whole way of looking at everything in life. It's like, wow. I had to let go of the fact that this would actually happen and just keep focusing on, I'm the little engine that could, so you know, <laughs> what do I do next? What can I do tomorrow? How can I push this thing an inch? just to keep the momentum and keep it moving, not re- recognizing that I may not even have a patent. So you really want to be careful. You don't want to, you know, think you're like, mortgage your house on this, you know, <laughs> yes. it's, it's risky, there's, there's an element yeah. of risk, and you have to really believe in what you're doing, and really try to get some constructive feedback, that doesn't mean feedback from everybody, because believe me, you can go to people, and they're going to, like, tell you, well, well, what about this, and it could be the, like, mm-hmm. the most ridiculous thing, I, I have heard things I can't even tell you, like, <laughs> you look and go, well, thanks for, you know, giving me your feedback, but... Yes. Some people definitely can give you great feedback. You're not going to find a lot of them, but try to find them. The ones that can really, you know, help you keep criticizing and critiquing your own idea and making it better.
1: Right. So it's not for the faint of heart? No. Would that be yeah. something yeah. you can probably say? And um, was it difficult as the time went on? Did people start to say, well, you know, why are you still doing that? And Oh, yeah. Most
3: people, I mean, the ones that get it, the doctors that, that really understood, they, I'd either get, oh, my God, what a great idea, and then why didn't I think of this, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you'd get, um, you're out yeah. of your mind, you're crazy, you're never right. going to get a product into the hospital, so... You know, I mean, you have to understand that some people are very positive people. Some people are very negative people.
1: Yeah. So you don't and it can have that. an impact on you. <laughs> We're going to uh, take this opportunity to go for a little break. Right. And uh, again, it, for those that are just turning into us, uh, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I'm here with two nurse entrepreneurs Jennifer Crispy, and Patty Long. And we're talking about their exciting uh, inventions and then the process of getting it through to market. Uh, When we come back, we would love to hear any ideas or questions that uh, people in the audience might have. So uh, please feel free to call us. The number is 866-472-5792. So anything, if you had a great idea and you've thought about selling it or maybe there was one that got away from you and somebody else came up with it sooner, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we will be coming back and talking more with Patty and Jennifer. Thank you so much.
4: Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events
5: current events and even more about your favorite host it's just a click away at vapresspass.com that's vapresspass.com va press pass by voice america all access
4: all the time opinions options answers voice america health and wellness
0: listening to once a nurse always a nurse exploring the world of nursing with host leanne meyer to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to leanne voice america at gmail.com now back to once a nurse always a nurse
1: Welcome back, this is Leanne Meyer, and we're having a really interesting conversation with two nurse entrepreneurs, uh, Jennifer Christie and Patty Long, and there's just been uh, lots of things that have come to mind to me, the perseverance that is required, uh, the internal optimism, and Patty, you said something, I think it was Patty, you said something about how this really changed your whole outlook. On different mm-hmm. things because you had to really go with the journey and not with the outcome, right? Do you want to say anything about that? Well, what other I, areas I, of your life and and how has it impacted you? Well, what I what I began to do is see
3: like kind of uh, it's it's kind of a esoteric kind of thing it's like i realized that whenever i started thinking about is this really going to happen will i make money it, am i going to be a success at it i'd start to get anxious and then when i said okay let that go and what do you need to do today what what's next on the agenda what who do you need to contact? What drawings do you need to do? Do you need to go to the uh, hardware store and start looking at springs again or something? Then, the, that, like, that piece, that kind of inner peace would come back. And so I kind of used that as my barometer. It was like, you know, uh, you sensing in and seeing that you really, when you start just thinking about the outcome and what's going to happen and what could happen and that anxiety comes, it's just not a good place to be. So it really kind of you know just taught me a lot about myself and sensing in to how you're feeling and respecting that and and really um, listening to that inner voice and listening to your feeling and, and letting yourself feel things and, and ma- being aware of it, like the observation is such a huge thing that a lot of times we just go along so unconsciously, you know, and we're mm-hmm. feeling this way and that way, but we're not really getting that awareness that you need to kind of
1: master that stuff, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I don't know. That's kind of my,
3: my Jennifer, philosophy that came out of this.
1: Jennifer, has that been an experience for you or is some other kind of bigger um, understanding come out of the process that you've gone through? Yes, I, I think for me, uh, Leanne,
2: it's been, um, I, I, I so care about the labor and birth process and my design and my development came out of basically a labor of love. Um, and so out of that labor of love, I was able to develop these paths and Originally I made it wanted to make it nice for the 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 pregnant belly just to make it more comfortable but in the process of that I actually learned that uh the toco pad improves the appearance of contractions which has been huge for myself as well as uh you know Women now are, are being monitored, a little larger BMI, or the preterm woman that comes in for contractions, you can't see contractions. And I know nurses do all kinds of things to improvise. Uh, they use an alcohol pad. They use all kinds of things under that pressure sensor to get a better tracing of contractions. And my pad does that. Very simple, very easy, very comfortable. And then the ultrasound pad too. I, you know, found that it just amplifies that... Uh, fetal heart tones. You get a more continual tracing. There's less improvising because we all do it. We all have our little tricks in, uh, up our sleeves on how to get a better connection of that uh, ultrasound on her belly. We use rolled washcloths or other objects to get that right angle. And I've sandwiched that into my product. So for me it just comes natural to use it and I continue to use it out of love and focus it on the love. And now I see it's more than just the comfort. It's all these other things that have come to the surface. And um, now that's what's motivating me to keep going on with this as well because I see good results come out of it. And um, so it's still the journey. And, there's yes, there's days where I'm feeling like, oh, you know, can't more hospitals be using this? But I just have to be patient with myself. And just every day when I'm not doing my 7-to-7 shift, I am on that phone and LinkedIn and, and just marketing it because the reality is it's, it's me and I have to keep moving forward with it. So um, And I really like my product. I use it every time I'm at work. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's definitely a great marketing tool right there is that if you can say I'm using it, sometimes yeah. I think, I used to wonder sometimes uh, when I would be an OB and uh, various things would come around. I remember when some of the first... Um, I think, I'm not sure if it was Hill Rom that uh, came up with some of the beds that were specifically for labor and delivery and so the ones where the bottom of the bed came away or could go down. And those mattresses were so hard and so uncomfortable. And you think, you know, yeah, they took the the whatever criteria that somebody told them and they built it, you know, the way that you'd want to do that. But once you've delivered and you have to sleep in that bed, it was like, forget it. So what I found was that um, uh, I was talking to some of the the salespeople and telling them, you know, this bed has to at some point be able to transition to a uh, postpartum or uh, post-delivery Bed And uh, so sure enough, pretty soon they started coming around with these uh, elasticized, um, Mm -hmm. kind of like a a thicker pad that was um, more comfortable or allowed the bed to be more comfortable for the mom. So I just thought how often we do that. We give away our great ideas and we don't even think about doing anything with them ourselves. Yep. So if you could... um, what what would you say to somebody who's tossing around an idea and trying to figure out what to do? What, what would you say is the most important thing for them to know? Well, I think uh,
2: if you have that passion, if you know that out of your passion you can change and create something, then um, go for it, you know, go for it. Uh, have your support people lined up, have your, your, uh, idea and, and, make sure you protect that idea and then just learn patience. Cause that's what it's going to take. Um, I remember mm, on many occasions, I think my attorney, my patent attorney, was going to, like, drop me from <laughs> as a client because I kept asking, you know, so when I get my patent, can I do this and this? And he was like, this is going to be an uphill battle. <laughs> like, you just slow your roll down, lady. And I was already seeing, you know, my, my product in every hospital across the USA. So I had that vision. Uh, but I, you just got to be patient. You just have to be patient. But you also have to be smart about it. And you have to... uh know who you're talking to, and protect yourself. Uh, I think that's really important as well.
3: Yeah. And I want to interject. uh, When I first started, I I contacted a medical design um, prototype company who wanted, I don't know, $50,000 to do a prototype, which I didn't have. But they did say to me that their best ideas in the medical field came, the most successful ideas came from nurses. And that was very encouraging to me. And it made sense because we're right there at the bedside. Uh, I also talked to another contract attorney who told me that when you come up with a really good idea, you have a two-year window of opportunity before somebody else will come up with it. And I have seen that happen. So if you do come up with an idea and you really feel like it's a good idea, for a few hundred bucks, you can do the uh, provisional patent, which at least gives you that year to get your money together and find a good patent attorney. And that's the second thing I would say. You're, the patent attorney is everything. I mean, that, not everything, but they are so critically important. You want a really good patent attorney because Agreed. Agreed. that's really all you have. You, don't, you know, uh, your patent is your intellectual property, and without that, you don't have anything.
1: <laughs> Agreed. One of the things I kind of was hearing you say, too, is the risky aspect of this, Um, sort of be very careful what you're risking. So you had said, you know, you could have put in $50,000 on coming up with a prototype, and of course you didn't have that. So if you would mortgaged your house and something went wrong or, you know, who knows what, um, it affects not only you but your whole family. So do you want to, either of you, say anything about that? I do. One of the things, um, I made
3: prototypes and um, your product is going to change over the course of time. I I can't even tell you how many changes I made to it. So when you're building prototypes that are very expensive, you you build this thing, you spend thousands of dollars, and then you're like, oh, no, this won't work. Oh, God, that's not good. So as much as you can do with a pencil and a piece of paper, line, draw, line, draw, line, draw. And what I noticed is that, at least with my product and a lot of other products, it's going to start out very complicated. And the more you change, the changes you make usually make it simpler look simpler more streamlined it's like the ice skater that makes it look so easy but they've been practicing for 20 years um you know the more you do it the actually simpler it's going to get so try to do as much as you can with a pencil and paper and as minimum as you can possibly get away with without doing prototypes there comes a point where you do need prototypes but Push as far as you can with the pencil and paper before you commit to that, because it's very expensive. So, yeah, I, mean, uh, I would. Go ahead. I was
2: just going to say for myself, um, you know, when I finally came up with that original prototype, um, there's a minimum amount that they want you you have to purchase. You mm-hmm. know, so you purchase these minimum amounts, and then you your hope. That it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. You don't even know sometimes. I remember my first 25 I sent off to New York with a hope and a prayer that it was going to work. I had, I was tested, it was, I was told it was going to work, but I actually hadn't really had too much of an opportunity to use it before I actually got it out there. And so that was very nerve wracking on my end. And then of course my, my, my original manufacturer ended up, um, um, you know, closing their doors, I had to find another manufacturer, and then the monitor company itself designed and created different different uh, transducers, so I had to modify my tools. so mm-hmm. it was a long, you know, it's, it's forever in the works, it's probably, even when it's still out there, it's going to be forever in the works, because right. it's you doing the follow-up calls, you checking to make sure everything, from my perspective, making sure people are happy with the product, and, and things like that, so, uh, yeah, it's it's... Just when you think, Oh, this is gonna be good, it's gonna be a little easier road No, it doesn't happen. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well it but it's still a like lot of fun,
2: I have to say. We still Okay I think I good both Patty and I. It's it's been a fun journey.
3: Yeah, it's been really um amazing to do something out of the, so out of the um realm of bedside nursing. Uh I have to say, like when I did focus on the journey like I was talking about, to be sitting there with, you know, uh an engineer and going over things like springs and things like that, it, it really felt great. It was, like, so fun. It's like, look at you. I'm sitting there thinking, look at you. You yeah. know, look at you doing this. It, it's so such a great being, feeling if you really do get
1: yourself. into that process. Yeah. It's very exciting. I hate to tell you to, but we're at the end of our program here. It's gone so very fast, and it's been so <laughs> <No> interesting. <way. laughs> I am so glad to be able to talk with both of you, and I really appreciate you. So if you're just coming in on the end of this, do come back in about 24 to 48 hours and listen to our podcast. I think you'll really enjoy it. So... Um, uh again, I just uh, feel like this has been uh, informative for me, and I hope for the people who are thinking about coming up with some great new ideas. Okay. I have to laugh here, too, because I've been promising a show on men in nursing, but i uh, it seems like there's always been something that has come up with it, but I am so hoping that will actually happen n- this coming Monday. So, I will be joined by Sean Waldron, John Nelson. Michael Graham, and the three of us will discuss uh, aspects of what attracts men into nursing and what they would like to see in nursing that acknowledges their special needs. Preferences and benefits, and so much more. So, please do tell your friends, listen to the podcasts of previous shows, encourage anyone you know who would be interested in sponsoring this show to continue this discussion thread between nurses. So, thank you for your continued interest, and I look forward to talking with you again in a week. Thank you.